This is Chapter 22 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. We visit two ends of the spectrum this week. First, we hear from author Dom Winslow, whose new book, The Force, is a gritty New York City police novel getting rave reviews. Then we escape the city and head to the fictional town of Butternut, Minnesota for this week's beach read by Mary McNear. If you've had the pleasure of riding the New York City subway system in the last couple of weeks, you've no doubt seen the ads for Don Winslow's The Force. The early praise for the book has been out of this world, with some calling it the best cop novel ever written. I spoke with Don about the hype and whether he thinks the world is as grim as he paints it. You could say that your book is an ancient story in a modern setting. We have kings, we have kingdoms, we have soldiers, we have wars. But it's all played out between cops and drug dealers. Tell us a little bit more. Well, it's about an elite unit called DeForce inside the New York Police Department who are charged with getting drugs and guns off the street. And and they do that very, very well. Uh, They do a little too well at one point uh, when they make the largest heroin bust in the history of the city and keep half the drugs and the guns for themselves. And, yeah, you know, I think that they do in many ways. These guys view them and women by the way, view themselves as kings and queens of their territory, their turf. Your main character is Denny Malone, and there are a lot of ways to sum him up, but it all seems to come down to he's a good guy who's done some bad things. Uh, One of the characters in the book describes him as both the best cop and worst cop that he's known. How would you describe him? Well, I think that that's a fairly accurate description. You know, join the NYPD like his father before him. Uh, in order to serve the city, I think he sincerely wants to keep the people in his on his turf safe and does that. Uh, and yet, you know, like a lot of us, he yields to some temptations. And there is a lot uh, mention about the, how do you get to the place you've been? And it and he in, in his inner monologue, it's always step by step. Yeah, you know, I think that um, the book starts with Denny in a cage. You know, it starts late in the book. You already have a sense why. And what I was really interested in, in taking the reader to was not so much the what happens, but the how and how Denny crushes one after another until he finds the place that he is. So you've created a world where cops, the justice system, City Hall, the feds are all corrupt. Race relations are at their worst. Is this the world as you see it, or is this a glimpse into the future if we don't fix the way things are now? Yeah, both. And let me hasten to add, you know, most cops are not corrupt. Most cops are clean. The book is dedicated to 178 police officers who lost their lives on duty during the time that I was writing the book. But this is about a particular guy. Uh, And I think, yeah, uh, there is corruption in, in major city police departments. We see headlines all over the place. Race relations are strained, and and I think we could be headed for something like that. You mentioned the dedication. It's not often that it's worth asking about, but in this case, why why did you choose? It's it's two and a half, almost three pages worth of names. Yeah, I thought it was important to name these people. You know, I sit very safely behind my desk uh, writing books uh, about police officers. And so I felt it was important to stop and and think about these people who are out there risking their lives every day in in order to keep us safe. And that being said, you don't disparage those who have lost their lives at the hands of cops. You do name all of them that we've come across in the modern era within the pages of your book. 
I do. I talk about them and take these cases on directly. You know, look, I think that that balance has become, unfortunately, sort of the dirty word in our culture these days. I don't think that there's that there are sides. I think that, you know, that we need to look at each of these cases individually. We need to look at the reasons behind them. We need to look at racism across society as a societal problem and not just the police problem. You've gotten a lot of high praise for this book. I mean, right on the cover, you have Stephen King calling it the godfather only with cops. What's the reaction been? Yeah, it is. And it's all over the New York City subways as well. Um, What's the reaction been from law enforcement? You know, the book's only, uh, well, less than a week old. So I haven't had a lot of response from readers. But the the cops that I have talked to, the cops that have read the book, have been pretty positive about it. I think they see it as clear-eyed. I think they see it as realistic, and and I think they see the humanity in it. The characters in this book, the cops in this book are, I hope, fully formed human beings, you know, uh, with good aspects and bad aspects and and all of that. And we're going to see this played out on the big screen, aren't we? I guess we are, yeah. Uh, James Mangold is directing it, and I was, you know, also thrilled to find out that David Mamet uh, will be writing the screenplay. I noticed that you pin a lot what happens to very specific holidays. Is there a reason for doing it in that way? Yeah, look, it's a fiction writer's device. You know, I think that that holidays are already emotionally evocative. And so you get kind of a bonus with that. Holidays are at a time where people get together. And so you you get to get your characters together, you know, kind of easily. Uh, and and I just like to do it. You know, it, it starts on Christmas Eve, and then there's a, a big episode on the 4th of July. And I think that kind of says something. All right, and this will be my final question. And it's, it's strictly personal curiosity, because I actually right. uh, live in the neighborhood that uh, this North Manhattan Task Force covers. And okay. I know you're a California guy. So why did you pick this particular part of Manhattan? Did you spend time in the neighborhoods? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, People always call me a California guy, and I I don't run away from that. But I was born in New York City, uh, born on Staten Island, lived and worked in the neighborhoods that are covered in the book. Uh, And so they're extremely evocative to me. You know, those streets, that neighborhood. Of course, sure, I came back and spent time on those streets and walking around and driving around, you know, talking to people there. But but I'm from that neighborhood, lived there for years and, and still love it. I think basically you sum the neighborhood up. There's a, a line where you say you hear five languages walking a single street, smell six cultures, hear seven kinds of music, see a hundred kinds of people, a thousand stories, and it's all New York. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? It really is. Well, Dom Winslow, yeah. author of The Force, thank you for taking some time today to talk to me. Hey, Lisa, thank you very much. Mary McNear's The Light in Summer is everything you want in a beach read. There's the conflicted main character, complicated family issues, the loyal best friend, and of course, romance. And it all takes place in a beautiful summertime setting. I recently spoke with Mary about the latest installment in her Butternut Lake series. So the novel opens at the beginning of summer, and Billy Harper, who's our main character, is um, she is a single mother of a 13-year-old son. She is the town librarian in Butternut, Minnesota. And as far as she knows, it's just going to be another summer, more or less like any summer. 
and she has many surprises in store for her. Um, I wanted to write about a time in someone's life where they're just on the cusp of so many things, and that's where we find Billy. Um, you know, she's in a she over the course of the summer, her life will change in so many ways, and I love the idea of that happening because, as you know, this really does happen in our lives. We're just, you know, we're kind of um, moving along on autopilot, and all of a sudden there's a period of time where we um, are, we choose to rearrange things, are forced to rearrange things, but um, everything kind of comes to a head for her this summer. And I love the idea of kind of contrasting that with the long, lazy kind of, you know, days of summer. So Billy is a self-professed romantic and a huge, and I don't use that word lightly, Jane Austen fan. And Jane Jane Austen's books really figure prominently throughout your book. Why? So they do. Well, I actually, this may not surprise you to hear this, I am also an obsessive Jane Austen fan. And in fact, I have had to really try to reel in my obsessions. So my new uh, my new rule is I only reread her books every 10 years. So basically every time I have a birthday with a zero in it, um, I can revisit them all again. Um, but I think what I loved about them is what I think so many readers love about them. I mean, there, there's so much there's so much to love about them. But of course, I love the way everything is neatly tied up in the end. It's so unlike the rest of our lives, and that's what Billy loves about it them too. And I think what she's learned by the end of the novel is that um, that she's not going to have that kind of perfection in her life, but that happiness doesn't always mean perfection. Um, and she's, she really learns to be much more of a risk taker because at the end of the day, she can read a good book or, or she, can, she can take chances in her own life. And of course, I think people should do both things. <laughs> but in Billy's case, she was sort of, you know, she was, um, she had become a very cautious person and she was, um, she was finding her romance in novels, which is a great place to find it. We just wanted to make sure that she also got out there in the real world, too. So you mentioned that you're a big Jane Austen fan and something that Billy does throughout the book is that when something comes up in her life, she likes to turn to Jane Austen and read either a particular scene or a particular quotation. And that's something that you do as well, right? I do. And, you know, I used, as I said, I used to read them more obsessively than I do now, but I would often just, depending on my mood, I would read in one book, I would read in another. Sometimes I would read a whole book from start to finish. Sometimes I would just go back over a favorite scene. And she kind of uses the books as a template for her life. And then, of course, the other um, the other thing she does, because she has this summertime nightly ritual where after her son goes to sleep, she goes out on the back porch and she has a glass of wine and she reads a Jane Austen novel. But the other thing she does during that time is she has a dog 
as as I do as well. She has a uh, a yellow lab named Murphy, and she also talks to him too. Although she, they're able to communicate without speaking. <laughs> they have a very they have a very strong bond, and so sometimes, in addition to kind of bouncing her ideas off a Jane Austen novel, she will kind of test them out on her dog. And he's a very patient listener, as all of your listeners who have dogs know. I was going to say. <laughs> doesn't interrupt her. <laughs> Anyone who's ha- been, had a pet has been there where they carry on full conversations with their animals. I know. <laughs> well, I read a study once that said 85% of pet owners um, admit to, to talking to their pets. And I thought, 85%? What about the other 15%? Right. What are the, they, How they're could the you odd not ones. talk to your pet? <laughs> uh, so, yes. So, he's a wonderful listener. So, um, yes, but we, we definitely wanted, um, we wanted to kind of interrupt Billy's routine, as appealing as it might sound, and just get her out more in the real world, because it's easy to take um, refuge in our own lives, right? But it's also important to take risks. And your loyal readers are familiar with Butternut, for, but the, for those who aren't, why do you choose to set your stories in northern Minnesota? So, okay, so my mother is from a small town in Wisconsin, and her grandfather, my great-grandfather, built a cabin um, in northwestern Wisconsin during the Depression, and so it's been in the family for several generations, although, as you can imagine, there are now many, there are now many different families sharing it, so it's actually, you know, when you go every summer is, determ- and is determined by a lottery system. Um, but it's still a wonderful place to go. And I, um, I try to capture that in the novels. Just, you know, when I, when I thought about the name for this novel, The Light in Summer, I was thinking about the light um, in the trees, the light on the water. Um, I mean, also there are different kinds of metaphorical light in this novel, but um, I thought there's something about a lake on a summer day that I think we can all we can all relate to. Um, it's just so quintessentially summer. Absolutely. And my final question for you is we've been talking all this much about how much you've upended Billy's routine. Is this where her story ends or will we get to find out a little bit more about what happens to her in the future? No, you'll probably get to find out a little bit more. You know, I tried to um, I try to have there be characters who um, you we continue to check in with over the course of the series. But I try to focus on one or two or three, um, three of them in any given novel. So we will definitely see Cal and Billy again, especially since Cal is... If you read the, if you've read the first novel in the series up at Butternut Lake, um, his sister was one of the main characters. So he's now part of an extended Butternut family. Oh, and Cal, of course, is Billy's love interest. Because I think we can all agree that no summer at the lake would be complete without a little romance, right? Oh, one hundred percent. Well, Mary McNear, author of The Light in Summer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Have a great summer. You too. That's this week's podcast. We want to hear from you. Email us at books at WCBS880.com and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880books.